0: Think about how long 400 years is. Think about all the things that can happen, can transpire in human history in 400 years. In our own history, it was 400 years ago that the pilgrims celebrated their first Thanksgiving. Think about all the things, all the inventions, all the wars, all the births, all the deaths, all of the uh, discoveries that have occurred on our planet since that time. 400 years is a long time. And we come to a point in time where it has been 400 years since God has chosen to reveal himself through the prophets in Holy Scripture. The eyelids of Revelation grow heavy and close. The Bible lies in slumber through Plato, Demosthenes, Archimedes, Zeno, the rise of Philip of Macedon and Alexander the Great, the fall of the Persian Empire, the construction of the fifth, sixth and seventh wonders of the world, the, uh, the rise of Rome, the Parthian empires, the Maccabean revolt, the Punic Wars of Rome versus Carthage, and the building of the Great Wall of China. It's been 400 years since God spoke through his prophets. 400 years of silence as the biblical faith of the Hebrews degraded into legalism and ritualism. The prophet Malachi pins the final words of God's written revelation. And he chose, picked up his stylus And writes, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. That 400 years of silence ends with the coming of John the Baptist. Who we will look at today as we look at Luke chapter 1. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you. And we thank you, God, that you are a God who works in the history of man. You've always been there. And you are there today. And we thank you, God, for being privileged to live under the new covenant, God. For you have given us scripture and it is complete. And you've given us the Holy Spirit who applies that scripture to our heart. The advantages that we have over the Old Testament saints are profound. And we see that truth even today as we look at the reawakening of inspired scripture through the the Apostle Luke. So bless us now, we pray, with a revelation of understanding and and the wonderful principles of the coming of John the Baptist. In Christ's name, amen. So my hope today is that as we, we that your faith is going to be strengthened. That was always uh, Luke's intention in writing this to Theophilus. That your strength is going to be uh, 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 strengthened as we look at the angel Gabriel making his announcement and pronouncement about the coming of John the Baptist and that our response at John's birth would be like what the angel expects, that we will have joy and gladness and will rejoice at his birth. So please, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 25. You will find your home group help insert of assistance. And I think what I'm going to do, this is such a long passage, I think I'm just going to break it up for you. You've got it written for you, of course, have it in your Bible. But I think I'm going to kind of break it up and reading it, Uh, As we go through the various components here, but we're going to see the the ruler of Judea in verses 5, verse 5a, the righteousness of Zechariah and Elizabeth in 5b through 7, the ritual of the temple in verses 8 through 10, the revelation of Gabriel, verses 11 through 17, the rebuke of Zechariah, verses 18 through 22. And the result of the promises, verses 23 through 25. First of all, it starts off, uh, remember, Luke is this, this superb historian. I mean, and considered as a superb historian by modern day historians. And he starts off with a historical uh, point of time in order to demonstrate the accuracy of the account that he is about to give us. He starts off in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now that, that warrants some discussion. Uh, We tend to uh, not read the Old Testament, we tend to not study and understand some of our history, so it's important to know at the timing of what was going on at this time. This is an historical tool that will help explain to you the the, the power of Holy Scripture. Herod the Great lived from uh, uh, 37 to 4 B.C. His father was Antipater. He supported Julius Caesar and even risked his life to help save Julius Caesar in his various wars. Uh, Antipater, after being uh, made uh, the, the king of that area, made his son Herod uh, the uh, governor of Galilee. Uh, go, he gained, uh, Herod gained favor by uh, rounding up and killing a notorious band of, uh, of um, uh, thugs that, that lived in the mountains. As a matter of fact, see, you can go to Galilee. If you stand and see a galilee, you can actually see up on the mountain various caves up on this mountain where these uh, bandits would go off and hide in these caves uh, and my understanding is that Herod actually made an elevator platform where he lowered his troops down into the cave so they could go in and uh, get them. That probably has nothing to do with the text. I just think it's really cool thought <laughs> of making elevators, Roman soldiers coming down and killing bandits. I mean, that ought to be a video game. Uh, so he did that. He gained favor with that. He was an extremely good administrator, a very wise administrator in many ways. He had to escape when the Parthians invaded Palestine, but then he came back and drove them off. Uh, uh, And in order to curry favor with the Jews, he himself was an Edomite, uh, a Dumian Arab. Uh, In order to curry favor with the Jews, he married one of the uh, someone from the Jewish Hasmonean family. He was diplomatic. He had great oratory skills and administrative skills. Uh, and he was liked by the Jews and the Romans alike uh, because of his, many, uh, many of his policies. He rebuilt the temple. He built the port of Caesarea. He rebuilt Samaria. Uh, During times of famine, he actually had his own gold melted down in order to provide grain for the people. So he carried a lot of favor in that regard, too. He was so popular that a a political party called the Herodians rose up. But if you read your New Testament, you know the Herodians were opposed to Jesus Christ. They didn't like Jesus coming in and talking about all that love and grace stuff when they had all the power to be able to keep people in control. But Herod, though he was great and in many ways deserved his name, was also ruthless, vicious, and merciless. His cruelty seemed to have no bounds. He murdered his wife, her brother, her mother, and several of his own sons because of his great insecurity. Tyrants are insecure people. Uh, And of course, uh, his most infamous act was the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. So this is where where, where, where Jesus comes in on the scene. Uh, Judaism had become apostate. They had become, they were faithful some, but they were people, they, they basically uh, felt they were going to curry God's favor through legalism and through ceremony. Uh, the world was controlled by the Romans and their and they're minions. Uh, it was a hard world. And it was a cruel world. And it was a difficult world. And if I were God, I wouldn't become a baby and live in that world. But God has the kind of love that he has for us. That this is the kind of world he came into. So now we see, uh, we see the, the ruler of Judea in 5a. and Now we see the righteous Zechariah and Elizabeth in 5b-7. through 7. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So basically, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were from a priestly line of Aaron. They, they, were, uh, they, were, they were PKs, they were priest kids. <laughs> they just grew up in, in, in ministry family. That's what they knew. Their, their father, their grandfather, they all went out and they would, they would minister uh, as, uh, as priests. They kind of lived out in the country, uh, it, it appears. And he was of the division of Abidjan. Just to understand that, that basically, according to First Chronicles 24, there were, there were 24 priestly divisions that would take turn ministering in the temple. Uh, so that it was it was spread out between all those people who had ironic uh, blood in them. But uh, after the deportation of, Balatine, of, of Babylon, only eight of those uh, 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 groups actually continued to exist. So they actually came back up with 24 in order to spread that out a little bit. So he was part of this uh, division of Abijah, and they would uh, they would uh, they would have this priestly uh, uh, rule for, uh, that was given to them basically by their pedigree. By the way, they were. Uh, raised And then uh, they were notice this, that they're also both believers. So they're PKs, but they're also believers. They were both righteous before God. That's really a great definition uh, of a believer. They, they are determined by God, God himself to be righteous people uh, justified by his great grace. Uh, Not only that, but they also walked blamelessly in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. So they were shining examples of a godly, remnant believing Jews in the midst of an apostate nation. God always has his people. Even in the darkest places, there are people of light. God has not forsaken his word, he has not forsaken his people. You can find them everywhere. And that's one of our prayers for America. We see so much darkness coming right now. But, you know, one of the things we remind God is there's a lot of your children in this country still. A lot of your children in this nation still. And there were still a lot of his own children uh, in Judea at the time. So they had this this wonderful pedigree. They had the opportunity to serve the Lord, which would have been just the highest of all privileges there in the temple and everything. But they had a problem. They were barren. They couldn't have babies. And that's a difficulty even in our day, a struggle in our day. But particularly back then, it was often considered a curse from God that you wouldn't have babies. Children were sort of everything uh, to the people. Your heritage would go on from line to line, the inheritance and all that kind of stuff. So in Hebrew culture, chaliceness was considered a disgrace and even a punishment by God. You might remember this when Hagar Uh, conceived and she made fun of Sarah because she could not conceive looking down on her because uh, Sarah could not conceive Uh, but but the and the the assumption was at this time and you see this even through the teaching of Jesus that somehow you're going through this difficulty because of your sin Uh, folks it is very often not the case that you are going through difficulty because of your sin now if you can connect your behavior to a particular trial that you're going through it may be because of your son but, but it really limits the wonderful things that God can do through your trials and temptations and difficulties when you think it always has to do with sin. This is an error of the disciples as they entered into Jerusalem in John chapter 9. As he passed by, they saw a man born blind from birth, or a uh, man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, sin, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. Wow. He, the, the, Jesus is turning their assumptions on top of their head. You know, they didn't even ask him. You know, I wonder what the sin guy, they just assume this man's blind because of his sin. And that was so often the, the perspective of uh, of the, the culture in general. But basically what Luke goes on to, to, to show why it is that they were struggling with this infertility uh, because God had a plan uh, that the works of God might be displayed in them. And he makes the point here that this was not because of their sin. They were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in the commandments. So one of the things that you need to ask a question is is, is the difficulties, the trials that you're going through, how can that difficulty end up glorifying God. How can we use that difficulty, that pain, that suffering in glorifying God? Don't waste your misery. <laughs> Don't waste your trials. Don't waste your grief. Don't waste your your the, the, the bad health effects that you're experiencing right now. God has a plan for those things and it may be often often case sometimes you find out sometimes you may not find out But just know that this is the way God still works with people. They had suffered. He didn't didn't say when they got married, by the way, I'm not going to let y'all have babies for 20 years and you're going to get really discouraged about that, but John the Baptist is going to come. They're just now finding out about that because God wants us to live by faith. And this is a particular test of faith. But notice the blessing that comes as a result. So we see here now the ritual of the temple in verses 8 through 10. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, When his uh, division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense." And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside for the hour of incense. So basically, they would use a lot. They would, they would draw lots for, uh, to see which two priests would serve that day. There would be a morning uh, incense offering and an afternoon incense offering. Uh, Zechariah was probably chosen by a lot for the afternoon incense offering. But this would have been the height of his career. They had to draw lots because there were hundreds of priests and every one of them wanted this profound privilege of being able to go in to the holy place, that mysterious hidden place back there inside the temple and go in and offer those incense. This was the height of his career. This was the moment that he had been waiting for for all of those years. It may have been that his father and his grandfather never actually were chosen to be able to do this. The opportunity had come. He goes, uh, what he would basically do, the priest would go through, he would have a ritual bath, he would put on the priestly garments. And remember what the function of a priest is. He is making intercession on behalf of the people. He is, the, he is the intermediary between God and between man. And as he carries that incense offering, he goes in with the priests, with the, with the tribes of Israel on his breast and on, and on his shoulder. He goes in uh, and he, he goes through the breadth of the temple courts. He's passing this throng of people. Everybody's looking at him. It's just, just complete silence as he walks through towards the opening to the temple, through the holy place. He's got the censer in his hand. He walks into the holy place. He stands outside the Holy of Holies. The great curtain of embroidered blue and purple and scarlet stands before him. On his left, there would be the golden lampstand. On his right would be the table of bread. And between that would be the altar of incense where he was to throw on the incense. The incense, of course, representative of the prayers of the people being offered up before him. But then something strange happened an angel showed up. <laughs> that wasn't part of the script. So we pick up here the revelation of Gabriel in verses 11 through 17. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and be filled with the hope, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this angel appears here. It is not in a vision. He is physically standing right in front of him, right off there to the, to the right here. And this angel, we find out later on, is Gabriel, God's great messenger. Now, uh, I mean, uh, Zechariah was a student of, student of, uh, of, of Old Testament. He, he understood who Gabriel was. The last time Gabriel appeared to anyone in Israel was in the days of Daniel in the Persian Empire. He says here, of course, he was troubled. That's always the response. The reason why people are so troubled, where do angels spend their time? In front of God. (laughs) So they have the holiness of God upon them. So they, they are just illuminated with holiness. And we as fallen people can be overwhelmed by that kind of holiness. So they're always terrifying. And of course, the appearing doesn't help either. Uh, But he he basically, the angels, as they always do, seek to assure him and and to give him comfort. Do not be afraid, Zachariah. And Zachariah says here, your prayer has been heard. Now, the question is, it seems obvious maybe, but maybe it's not as obvious. The question is, what's the prayer? What was the prayer? Well, because the answer appears to be a son, John the Baptist, it might have been a prayer about fertility. But there's also this sense that they were well advanced in the years. They were past that point that that they would be able to conceive and have children. And also remember, what was he doing in the temple time? He was the intercessor. He was bringing the prayers of the people. And my guess is that God is answering his prayer. Yes, for a son. But he's also, in the same way, answering, yes, I'm going to bring redemption to the people. And the redemption is going to come through the ministry of this son who is going to be herald to Messiah. So I think he's probably answering both of those prayers in many ways here. And he says here, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. You know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe you've been Christians for so long. uh, You just sort of get used to salvation, used to grace Used to the fact that Jesus died for our sins. But I hope we never lose the wonder of that. That's one of the things I love about Christmas. It just reminds us of the wonders that God became flesh and dwelt among us. But sometimes we forget to behold his glory. Sometimes we forget that we should have joy and gladness in this coming of the Lord. In this great answer to prayer. 400 years of silence is being broken through this proclamation of grace that's coming here. And, uh, and he doesn't want the baby to be named Zechariah for his father. He wants the baby to be named John. That's God's will. What does John mean? God is gracious. God is gracious. Zechariah uh, proclaims later on, verses 76 through 74, speaking of John, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to give our feet to the way of peace. So John's greatness will be a result of his prophetic gift. He will speak the words of God. And that's the reason why he was not to drink wine. They didn't want him to, people to confuse his prophetic utterances with drunkenness. Remember that happened on the day of Pentecost, right? People were speaking prophetic utterances and speaking various tongues, and they just assumed they were drunk. So basically, he's going to be a Nazarite, uh, take the Nazarite vow and not drink wine or strong drink. Uh, but uh, Gabriel reveals the purposes of John's ministry. and He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is an astonishing revelation. Aston- I mean, how did, the, how did the people of God, like Zechariah and these godly people, they just groaned groaned that the silence would be broken. And they had seen so much war, so much devastation, so much misery, so much loss of hope, so much apostasy in what once was uh, the, 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 the church that had the truth uh, through the Old Testament scriptures. And, then, uh, and, and they had groaned for this, and this moment is finally coming. The second Elijah is going to come. This was fulfillment of the New Testament. Uh, I mean, uh, fulfillment of the fulfillment uh, the cov- of the new covenant in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I'll remember no more. That written by Jeremiah, I mean, what a grace that is. Here's Jeremiah called the weeping prophet, right? I mean, he just had one difficulty after another, and yet he's the one that was able to reveal the new covenant where God will not even remember the sins of those who are in Christ Jesus. But again, he comes in on a scene where there is just an empty, self-serving, ritualistic religion Paul points out the errors of Judaism at the time in Romans 10, 1 through 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance to knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seek, seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Well, that's that's going to change for a lot of people with the coming of the ministry of John the Baptist who will herald the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then we see the rebuke for Zechariah. Regrettably, it doesn't end as well as we'd like. Zechariah is a little much like us. He has a hard time believing, has a hard time demonstrating faith in verses 18 through 22. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering his delay in the temple, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. John Christon, the silver-throated orator of the early church, said this, Zechariah looked at his age, his gray hair, his body had lost its strength. He looked at his wife's sterility, and he refused to accept on faith what the angel revealed would come to pass. Boy, it's like us, isn't it? We do an, when we, when we want to believe something big, we do an automatic inventory, and we think it's just impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. And he loves faith. He loves doing the impossible, but very often he's inhibited, in a sense, because of our lack of faith. So he's, uh, he gets this revelation here, but he lacked the faith. He didn't, ex- have, uh, he didn't expect God to do what he said he would do here, even with being in the temple in the best environment he could possibly be in and being able to see this angel's. And then the people were wondering why he, had, uh, why he had delayed the temple. Basically, if, if, if remember when you were a little kid and you had to take the garbage out on Saturday night and it was dark? And you would take the garbage out and you would run to the trash can and then you'd run back into the house because the, the boogeyman was behind you or probably werewolves and Anderson, I don't know. You, know, you remember that? I mean, I, just, I still remember the terror of running back to the house uh, in the dark. Um, this is actually last week. But... Uh, <laughs> so 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 a high priest is motivated to get out of there that's a scary place in sometimes you remember the, the 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 high priest on the day of atonement he would wear bells cuz he's going into the holy of holies he would wear bells on his robe so in case god decided to strike him dead uh, they could drag him out with a rope that was tied around. They would, they would hear the bell stop, and they would, oh, well, he's dead. And they would pull his body out so they wouldn't have to go in and defile the Holy of Holies. You know, that doesn't build confidence for a new guy going in for the first time in the temple. So these priests would get in there, they'd offer their prayers, and they'd get out. Well, there's a conversation going on in here. They don't know that outside, but they're wondering, what's happened to Zechariah? What's going on here? Then he comes out, and he can't tell them. The angel... He didn't believe the good news, so the angel says, So you can't tell this good news. And it's almost comical. I mean, I hope Zechariah's not listening right now. it's a little comical. I mean, you can see him. I mean, he's just, wow, I can't believe all this is happening. I can't believe I'm going to have a baby. And uh, and then I can't believe there was an angel there. And it was Gabriel. You know, Gabriel's like the big guy, you know, the messenger guy. And then we're coming out. And I, and, 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 and I got to choose the, I got chosen by lot today. And then I come back. And then he's just overwhelming. He comes in and he starts doing, you know. And it's charades. It's holy charades at the temple. And the people are, and the people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's. Bird, 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 bird. No, 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 no. Sounds like arm. No. Angle. You know. <laughs> Nigel. Nigel appeared to you in the gym. And he, I don't know how, I guess he eventually wrote it down and told Elizabeth what was going on. But how frustrating would that be? But that's what you get when you don't have faith. How many opportunities have we missed to be able to tell people the good news because we were so absorbed with our, ourselves. We were, we were wallowing in self-pity. We were being selfish. We missed the opportunity to talk about this good news because we didn't believe in God. We didn't believe that he was actually going to do what he said he would do. Then we see here the result of the promise, verses 23 through 25. And at this time, the service was ended. He went to his own home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. And when, so the time of the service was ended, they go on home here. Uh, they, they wait. He waits for Elizabeth to be conceived. And Luke makes that point. because They don't want any questions here. There's something going on there. Some Elizabeth's been fooling around or anything. So they wait for this little bit of time. And she's just so overwhelmed by this whole situation. She basically kept herself secluded until she couldn't hide the baby anymore. She was five months pregnant here. Uh, so they could pr- come back out and proclaim this miracle that, that, that so many of their friends have been praying for for so long. Uh, but I don't know that they would fully understand the import of who the John the Baptist was. And, of course, by the time John the Baptist starts his ministry, some 30 years later, most of these people, uh, probably including Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, would have been gone. Just want to close with this one, one little thought here where Luke says, he says, I was sent to you, the angel, to bring you this good news. That's the first use of that word good news or gospel, as we call this the gospel of Luke the, the 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 term comes from that word euangelion here and the angel pronounced good news to Zechariah this is what we're supposed to do but what the angel really did was pick up on good news that came all the way back from Malachi at the close of the old testament Malachi 3 says this behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire and like fuller soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Y'all, that's happening right now. The Lord is blessed with this service of worship. He is blessed with your life. This great, the, the great fulfillment of this good news is something that we can enjoy right now. It was a mystery that was scarcely revealed to the prophets that was suddenly revealed to Zechariah. He didn't fully understand it, but he didn't believe it all. Let us not be one that think that God is going to be stingy on giving us the good news, but we're fulfilling it now through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of the church and the ministry of the word, let us go forth with joy as was the case with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Father, we do pray that you would just teach us the the import of all this. Again, sometimes we're so jaded. We've heard these stories so many times. We're coming into the Advent season. It seems like all the world uh, knows a little bit about these truths. But help us to never lose the wonder. What an amazing thing it is, an amazing thing it is that you would make a covenant where you don't even remember our sins because our sins were paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us enjoy this journey through this marvelous gospel for these next several years. We pray in Christ's name.